Checking in again with State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy for another Techie Talk. Hey, Tacky, how's it going? Hey, Joe. It's uh, good to see you again uh, as we close in on the end of the year. Yeah, actually, uh, good point to tell you that uh, I'm going to be off next week, so there'll be no Techie Talk next week. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you deserve a well, well-deserved holiday. It'll just be a staycation, uh, but uh, do a little uh, shopping before the holidays, I think. Well, did you get your leaves off the ground yet? It's uh, running out of time. Well, I unfortunately, they're under snow now, so they have to wait till spring. <laughs> <laughs> Winter is set in in a big way. <laughs> yeah, it actually has. Uh, the uh, The weather's been obviously very cold. We've all seen our first real kind of sticking to the ground snow this past Sunday. And, uh, we, you know, we talked about this a little earlier, uh, you know, what uh, energy prices are still high. Uh, your electric bill, I would tell you all, uh, unless you have competitive supply locked in rate uh, that's substantially lower than the national grid basic rate that changes every six months. You know, everyone's feeling good. sticker shock right about now is the first bill you got in November was the first hiding amount and the natural gas is about 16 percent. Uh, higher than last year and uh, almost 65% higher electricity. So, you know, it went to affect November 1st. You probably saw it in November, bill, but, you know, I promise this December time is when people are going to see a big uh, sticker shock, um, especially now Christmas lights are on. You have family coming to the house. Uh, obviously, your lights are coming on. Uh, if you're home working in particular because the dark is coming in sooner um, and, you know, your heating is running. And, uh, you know, even here, you know, we try to turn the thermostat down significantly at night and uh, my mom is home all day uh, she sleeps in as i think somebody may figure it out at this point but she does sleep in so it gives me uh, opportunity to extend amount of time i can keep the house a little cooler uh, but you know it's it's going to be a tough winter for everyone uh, that hyperinflation uh, prices are not coming down fast they are coming down but you know not wicked fast and uh you know everyone's going to have to contend to try to balance out you know how to heat their homes and keep the lights on at the same time. Yeah, I did. As you mentioned, I got my first energy bills. Really noticed it on the electric side, a little bit on the natural gas side. I'm sure that will go up too. Yeah, that would change uh, on natural gas because again, once, a, once you're heating a home more often, November was not terrible, terrible. It was pretty mild. We had some strange, like warm, warm days. Um, and then, uh, you know, electric 65%. I mean, there's no way you did not notice the electric spike hike. Uh, no way. Uh, you didn't notice. Uh, so uh, the, you know, competitive supplies out there, of course, they're subject to market forces right now. It may not be a great time to get the competitive supply. Uh, we can talk about competitive supply at length on a different day about the pitfalls and benefits associated with it. But again, I remind folks, you know, mass savers out there, uh, you can still get a whole audit. Uh, you know, obviously you can get energy efficient light bulbs, which I think everybody's got an energy efficient light bulb by this point, as it's required by law to have those that aren't decorative. Uh, but, you know, obviously keep your drapes closed, make sure your windows are, are sealed, um, you know, try to retain heat as much as possible. And if you are able to you know, take your thermostat, you know, two degrees lower or so, and you can wear a coat indoors, um, that's, that's what I kind of suggest. I wish there was a better way I can tell you to save energy, but I, but I can't. And uh, it's always a lagging indicator. So you guys will see, you know, the price of oil changing and things like that. Natural gas isn't oil, it's natural gas, it's separate. You know, energy commodity, separate energy source. Uh, but, you know, what price you see today changing, you know, you may not affect you for, you know, maybe a week, maybe a month. It really depends. Yeah, I read an interesting article just this morning, actually, about um, the the phantom power drains in our homes now with uh, so much, you know, more connectivity with all our electronic devices. It's more than just um, digital clocks and, and and televisions, but it's 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 all the smart devices too that have to have power all the time if you want to have access to them. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'm kind of a victim of that as well as everybody else because you always hear about surge protectors. The little light that's on in the surge protector is drawing power. Uh, it's a low, small amount of power, but if it's on 24 hours, it adds up. Same thing with plugging your device in the walls. I mean. You may plug your laptop overnight. There really is no reason to plug it in. You should let the battery drain and then plug it in when necessary because it's continuing to keep draining power a little bit at a time. As the battery descends a little, it's going to keep running power from the wall. Same thing with phone chargers. That's because there's nothing connected to the phone charger. It doesn't mean that little device isn't drawing power and circling it through to ensure that you know it's readily available and no problems when you, when you plug your phone in. 
And of course, everyone knows about the microwave light, the VCR light, and even your router and your internet. Uh, you know, it's a wee hours in the morning. And, you know, maybe you have to have download for work, maybe doing backups. People do, you know, I do know people who are working from home, maybe working in a business where you do overnight backups or uh, things from your IT or your own you know, personal business. Uh, but, you know, you, you leave those routers and your internet on overnight, you know, uh, you know that falls power too. And, you know, I'm no different than anybody else. I mean, you know, everyone feels uh, like, oh, like I wish you turn this off. Uh, and, but I mean, when it's funny, when there's a family vacation, you turn it, you turn it and plug everything because you need internet when you're away for a week, right? Yeah, it's true. Unless you want to have access to your devices at home, your thermostats and, you know, whatever else is connected. Yeah, and security systems or Wi-Fi driven for, you know, Comcast provides or Infinity provides that service where you can get that stuff. Google, I was able to Google, Alexa, Google Next uh, products, uh, you know, you know, the ring doorbell uh, uses the more power than your conventional doorbell. But yeah, these little uh, electronic devices add up, you know, in bulk over time. Uh, but if you're going to go away, you know, during the holiday season, you can turn certain things off because mm -hmm. plug it or or you don't need it. Especially things like surge protectors, not connected to anything essential. You know, get your thermostat down to you know 50, 60 degrees. I guess 60 degrees is safest. Uh, 40 degrees at least. Make sure your pipes don't freeze. Um, you can do that. But I get it. And people like to see their um, packages come through the ring doorbell. Uh, you know, crank up the heat. You know, on the way home, uh, remotely through your phone. I, I get it, uh, but you know this is different than it was even five years ago, where you really just had right your TV, your surge protector, your internet, you know your microwave, you know doing power vampires. So what's going on at the state house these days, Tacky? I'm sure uh, <laughs> getting ready for the transition to the new administration. Yeah, it's um, getting ready to uh, move to the administration, new administration. It's sudden news. Uh, Governor-elect Attorney General uh, Maura Gailey, um, you know, has visited the governor's office. Uh, she named uh, three core people um, this week, Chief of Staff, Special Advisor, and the ANF Secretary, and Administration Finance Secretary, ANF. It's crucial because she has to put her first budget together um, by, I believe, mid-February. She gets a few extra weeks to normal because of a new governor-elect. She's appointed a, a first assistant. There'll be acting Attorney General. First Assistant Attorney General will be the Acting Attorney General for the space between the swearing in as governor, because she will technically resign as Attorney General and um, sworn in as governor. The First Assistant that's been appointed will hold the Attorney General's position to January 18th. January 18th will swear in Andrea Campbell, and then Andrea Campbell will put her team in. So, I mean, we actually saw this funny one of Michael Morrissey, too, when he was district, uh, with Bill Keating and a district attorney because um, uh, Bill Keating's uh, election to Congress resulted in a uh, uh, swearing in day that didn't coincide with the DA swearing in day, which had to get the, the governor to appoint Michael Morrissey as DA for like like two or three days or whatever until the actual DA swearing in. Mm -hmm. So this is actually one of those interesting um, things about transitioning from one office to another, these little odd timing issues. Uh, the legislature is actually sworn in first on, on the 4th of um, January, the first Wednesday of the new, of the new cycle is when we get sworn in. The governor gets sworn in the day after us, which would be a Thursday, um, and then the rest of constitutional officers on the 18th. Uh, whatever reason, that's the way the Constitution is set up. So Charlie Baker will uh, swear the new legislature in and leave uh, the next day. So his last well, kind of true official act of those governors going to be swearing in the, the next legislature. Hmm, interesting. Any um, word from the speaker on the committee assignments yet? No, I do know from talking to my other colleagues that the speaker is meeting everyone uh, in the Democratic caucus, which realistically speaking, we're talking about, you know, right now is 123. We have two outstanding recounts that look like both of them are going to go to the SJC. Uh, one is a one vote difference. I think the other one's like less than seven. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting to watch. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. We've done recounts in Quincy. People remember the Del Hunt Johnson race and hanging Chad started in Massachusetts. Hanging Chad did not start in Florida. You know, and for those of you old enough, remember that political uh, tidbit. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, Speaker is going to meet at least 120 of us uh, minimum uh, to discuss committee assignments. You do some quick math, even if it's, you know, five of us. A day, assuming let's say there's four day weeks of us, that's 20 
a week, perhaps, maybe a little more. You know, get to 120, that's like six weeks. So no, I, well, he's not going to be 20 a week, but, you know, if he could, it would be about six weeks of meeting folks asking for what they want and uh, taking note of what's going on and also uh, get feedback on how they thought the session worked and as, as well as talk about their priorities for next cycle. So the speaker uh, is quite preoccupied. And this week, um, let's see, today, no, it's next week, I think, uh, they have boot camp. The, the new uh, class coming in gets so-called boot camp or initiation, or whatever you want to call it, where uh, the speaker, uh, the clerk, and uh, both branches uh, as well, you know, a set president will be there, and the speaker, and uh, leadership team and certain chairs will be invited out to give uh, seminars for two straight days uh, to the membership and see how much they retain. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of uh, processes and policy that you're going to cram into your brain in a short period. So, you know, that's coming up as well. So the speaker has to prepare for that. He has to prepare for swearing-in day. Uh, Obviously, a lot of sighted families will be coming uh, to see their uh, loved ones sworn in, uh, families and friends. So, uh, you know, obviously, we're still in a COVID world, and we've got to take that into consideration. But, I mean, we should have a more normal swearing-in day, uh, unlike last time, which was virtual, as, and only the new class was able to come in. A new class couldn't bring their family mm. uh, in 20, uh, 2020. Um, so it was a very... Uh, it's 2021, so it was a very challenged period for people. And, you know, people who couldn't bring the family last time were eager to bring the family. So there's only so much space. And then, you know, the speaker has to uh, set up leadership meetings with the governor-elect uh, and the uh, Senate president. Um, and, of course, you know, he would like to take a few days off around the holidays himself. Uh, so, I mean, the speakers are actually, even though this is the down period, it's going to be very busy. And bills that are uh, can move through unanimous consent. As you all saw with the econ dev bill uh, that we got through unanimous consent, a lot of little pieces, technical bills, um, small bills, commissions, accepting reports, a lot of reports are due at the end of this year from various boards and commissions, as well as special legislative commissions all come due. So, you know, it'll be a busy um, between uh, be going into New Year's uh, because attending the session end January 3rd. So going into that January 3rd, uh, there'll be a lot of activity on Beacon Hill uh, as uh, we're trying to move these smaller, you know, frankly, uh, you know, technical small bills, you know, home rule petitions or petitions from city and towns. It's going to be very active. And we do expect a supplemental budget from the governor early next year to address uh, costs that bills continue to pay that, you know, need to be done from the last quarter. So, I mean, I'm sure the current A secretary, the new A secretary will coordinate uh, a supplemental budget, you know, sometime in January. Yeah, speaking of the economic development bill, um, finally got my uh, tax refund, and uh, folks should uh, have had theirs by now, right? Well, absolutely. Uh, the Chapter 62F tax credit is coming back to you, or should be back to you, as a Charlie Baker Christmas gift, always to put it, or Black Friday ready, depending when you got it. Uh, just to remind folks, you are going to get your money based on how you paid your taxes or received your refund from the last tax cycle. So if you paid your taxes online or uh, meaning the, the uh, electronic transfer from your bank account or you had the direct deposit for a refund, you're going to have to look at your bank account. If you did it by check, uh, uh, you receive refund by check or you paid by check, you're getting a check. So uh, I know people get a lot of junk mail, Christmas cards uh, and holiday wishes as well in your mailbox, uh, as well as your normal bills and whatnot. So, you know, uh, definitely keep an eye out if you haven't received yet. It's going to be in the what do you call the, the check envelope, I guess. It's like, you know, the one where you have to tear off the perforations. Um, I know junk mail also looks like the ones that tear off perforations, so uh, you definitely should open it. If you have any questions about it, obviously you can call the office at 617-722-2370. Uh, definitely call us because it's a little more efficient. We're not asking to photocopy a check and, and email it to me. Uh, but, you know, if, if uh, you're not sure um, what you got in the mail, you know, it's going to ask. As well as, uh, obviously, it's online. You just... Uh, Mm -hmm. websites are a mess but i mean you can just google you know Massachusetts chapter 62f and it'll bring up the state website regarding uh, where the status of things are for yep absolutely uh speaking of supplemental budgets can we talk a little bit about uh a baker supplemental budget proposal to deal with the 
the migrant housing issue uh, that's come to surface recently. And uh, portions of the bill are looking to open up a center up at Fort Devens, I guess, to assist with migrants coming into the state. There's another portion of it to help fund uh, st students who would be enrolled in public schools. So this is really coming to the forefront now as he exits. Yeah, it's uh, how the governor likes to hand out checks and uh, uh, drop new policy towards the end. And he was uh, vetoing, uh, amendment vetoing uh, chunks of the uh, economic development bill, which actually I had some issues that as well. He's also ve amendment vetoed one of my other uh, bills I was working on, but we can talk about it in a minute. Uh, I think I talked about last week regarding the uh, the, the uh, suspending license from student loans. But you know, the migrant issue is real. I mean, the refugees... Uh, Massachusetts is designated ref refugee uh, location by the feds. Um, one of the big challenges for all refugee organizations uh, that we've talked to is that they don't have space. Um, they, they have funding uh, to help pay a landlord rent, uh, but they can't find a place for people to live. And this is a reoccurring theme in Massachusetts, uh, not just on home purchases, which the market has truly tightened uh, because of interest rates. Um, but also uh, finding rental locations. And, uh, you know, that was an interesting conversation with them. So, you know, people think migrants, you know, it's interesting how we use all these words, but, you know, many of these folks are actually refugees, mm. not migrants. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're taking uh, Afghan, uh, Haitian, and a few other countries uh, into our state. Uh, and the winter's coming and we have a housing shortage and they're put them somewhere. Um, putting an army base, I get it. Um, it's not ideal. Uh, it's a temporary situation as we try to figure out what to do next. Uh, but, you know, this is an example of, you know, frankly, uh, you know, us trying to solve a problem uh, that we've been trying to solve for a long time and the market isn't helping us on, on, on solving it. Uh, but, you know, it's also a humanitarian issue. Um, it's a moral issue as well uh, you know, to help folks out that uh, many of these folks, you know, particularly the Afghans, uh, you know, fought for us uh, against the war on terrorism. And, uh, it's, it's, you, know, you think about it that way, this is kind of tough. Um, you know, when you're uh, helping the United States, you're no longer allowed to have your home in your home country. You just provided some security uh, and safety. And now you're in a new winter, uh, finding yourself an army base. Um, you know, some are going to be there. Uh, and of course, you know, other migrants you've seen come through here, as we saw the case of the political refugees from Venezuela and uh, others as the feds kind of shuffle around various folks around the country. So uh, it's a, it's a difficult issue um, to manage. And, you know, gov you know, governor is taking the lead on this uh, as he exits the bill. So I uh, <laughs> love how this works. So governor-elect uh, Governor Healy next year uh, will have to deal with this meaning she's going to have to put her team in place addressing those issues, quite frankly, very, quite frankly, very, very quickly, um, as well as uh, what the legislature have addressed this. And, um, as a reminder, uh, there are no committees uh, formed uh, on January 4th. The speaker will be elected, uh, probably uh, most likely at, uh, appoint Ways and Means Chair. as the temporary chair of Ways and Means to get us through the budgetary period, but you know, leadership positions as well as chairs are vacated. Uh, as the legislation prorogued, meaning, you know, when you prorogue, the legislation just ends and you do a restart and we start over more accurately uh, on swearing in day. So there's a lot of logistical issues uh, procedurally uh, required in the Constitution to, to do. So, uh, you know, as I said before, in the last few days of uh, sessions, you can move stuff under three hands consent and speaker instead of president and governor, gonna have to ask, get some agreements going what, what bills would be coming law. And you know whether or not we get the supplemental budget over the line is a good question mark because everything expires. Swearing mm -hmm. in, all bills expire, including this government supplemental budget. So yeah. decisions got to be made very quickly by uh, ways and means and leadership team. If they think we can afford it, uh, which we probably can, uh, but it, you know, should we uh, make changes, uh, not just financially, but should we put more conditions or less conditions of on the money spent? So. And, and revenue forecasts is right now uh, getting prepared for Ways and Means Administration Finance. Uh, I'm trying to get to agreement on uh, the next fiscal year's revenue forecast. We'll budget around that forecast. So you got that going on as well. So 
Yeah, I mean, stuff's happening in December. I think people think it's kind of a sneaky legislature after four more sessions, but hopefully you know, this past few months uh, in a quote-unquote normal situation, um, because uh, you know we were operating in COVID emergency rooms were constantly on our toes uh, for you know, well into two years, essentially. Um, we still we are still very busy, uh, despite uh, you know the end of formal sessions. Speaking of um, conditions, can we talk a little bit about um, Secretary of State's proposal to put some conditions on the so-called mil millionaires tax? And he's proposing um, basically a trust fund uh, to hold the money for for public educational purposes. Do you think that's something that's going to happen? Yeah, the millionaires tax uh, for refresher, the voters voted for it by actually a pretty close margin. I believe it was like just barely 52%. Yeah, that's right. Every dollar over the first man is taxed at 4% in addition to our 5% uh, flat sales tax. Uh, uh, a lot of questions about, quote unquote, what income means, but you know, our general state is income means all income, period. Um, so the proposal is to create a trust fund because the money is supposed to go directly to education and transportation. They let go the, the, you cannot dictate uh, what money is used for through the constitution. The a power of appropriation is with the legislature. Um, so uh, contrary to what the advocates say, uh, the legislature has large discretion what education means. The legislature has large discretion what uh, transportation means. Why do I say that? You can't put in a constitution and say, you're gonna spend money on XYZ general law, which, which is the program. So we talk about chapter 70 all the time. Chapter 70 is the uh, education money provide uh, with uh, pretty much almost no strings attached to cities and towns to pay for your schools. Uh, some uh, communities, it's a very big part of the budget and some communities maybe a little less. Wealthy communities get less money than um, uh, less uh, affluent communities. And uh, we can't put in the constitution and say, you know, this money for the mayor's tax shall go to chapter 70 because we could make it chapter 71. Mm -hmm. Duh, I mean, pretty straightforward folks. So as a result, uh, you know, they have this kind of vague term for education. So we have enormous discretion. Secretary of State would like to take that money, stick into a trust fund separately to keep it away from the legislature um, to use. And then, you know, we'll be uh, set aside as we try to figure out what to do with it uh, down the road. Uh, I'm going to tell you, it's not likely that's going to happen. Uh, the legislature historically likes their flexibility of decision-making. Um, and while we do not know exactly what the manners tax is going to generate, because a lot of figures you saw on television was almost five years ago on the projected numbers. And obviously we live in a very different world from five years ago. You know, we, we, we're probably not going to assume uh, that the manners tax is going to kick in on uh, a lot of money in the near term and maybe just kind of wait and see what happens. I think we'll wait and see what happens and just you know, rely on, you know, ways and means, Department of Revenue, Administration, Finance projections. Uh, but, the, you know, the, the, the uh, Secretary of State, you know, wants to uh, uh, ensure uh, that, you know, this education money goes to an education trust fund. And then, you know, we're going to have to figure out what to do next. Uh, it's not like you can't have proper accounting. The power of revenue has all the numbers. But it's not like you can't find out you know, how much is generated once it actually generates. Uh, but, I mean, like I said, the legislature likes its flexibility. And the legislature is the one that has to create the trust fund. Ah, okay. So, well, it's, I mean, it's already kind of dictated in the, in the ballot question that was approved by the voters, right? It is, but again, it's very vague. Yeah. It, it could be anything. And uh, we get to dictate what to, how to determine the vagueness. Uh, the Supreme Judicial Court did approve this ballot question, so they, they mm -hmm. accepted the vagueness. Yeah, uh, so it would stand up to a challenge, yeah. It would stand up to a challenge. It's already yeah. challenged already. Um, so, I mean, even if we do a trust fund, let's, let's for the sake of argument, uh, do a trust fund. The legislature also has the power to move money in and out of a trust fund. Yeah. And the legislature has the power to move money between funds. Provided yeah. that, yeah, I mean. So it's another layer of bureaucracy, basically. <laughs> yeah, legislative bureaucracy. Uh, kind of weird saying that because our bureaucracy looks different <laughs> from the executive branch. Uh, but it is there. Uh, you know, an example we'll give is the uh, casino money. It's in several different buckets, uh, which we would actually take money out of those buckets uh, for healthcare, for education, uh, for uh, gambling addiction. And, and uh, we put that into the main budget. It isn't like you just write a check out of the trust fund, you know, and just comes up by passing the legislative process. 
you know, the legislature still has to review and approve all transfers of money uh, between uh, agencies, between accounts, which we do in supplemental budgets, which has money between different accounts in the executive branch, as well as money between trust funds or in and out of trust funds. You know, the rainy day fund's an example of that. Um, you know, by law, capital gains goes in the rainy day fund. Mm. Uh, we still actually have to do the physical transfer in the state budget. It's actually in the back of the budget, uh, you know, pursuant to, you know, whatever general law is on the capital mm-hmm. gains, you know, good. You know, we actually have to appropriate and direct transfer and direct direct comptroller to uh, direct the money to, to the rainy day fund. Yeah, I, I think uh, the secretary is also looking to create some exemptions uh, specifically for older folks who sell their homes. Um, but can't that be dealt with on their own by establishing a, a separate trust for that? Oh, money? yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. There's plenty of uh, perfectly legal ways uh, right. long before the, the so-called millionaire's tax that uh, families can uh, create uh, tax. The word is an evasion because you are going to pay your taxes, but right. it changes the tax burden. Yep. Do it. Uh, uh, so yeah, you create a, a, a trust, it's a separate entity, it's taxed as a separate entity. Uh, if you're a uh, Medicare age and you, you know, want to worry about perhaps for assisted living down the road, mm-hmm. irrevocable trust, I strongly advise people uh, when they get about 60-ish to go see a Medicare attorney, a state attorney, um, will attorney. I know it's, people don't want to talk about that stuff. It's kind of grisly. But I mean, something you should all, you know, get consultation from a, an attorney that works, you know, in the state field uh, that uh, you know can provide your proper advice. Obviously, you can talk to your accountants. But you're absolutely correct. There are mechanisms in place where um, you can uh, move uh, things through, like a trust fund or other mechanisms out there. In the case of your business, uh, you arrange how you do your business uh, because of the LOC, LOPs, mm-hmm. you can rearrange how you do your business regarding salary collection and expenses. There's ways to do this. I mean, it's really up to individuals to figure it out um, under the current tax code. You try to change the size of quote unquote, your total revenue mm-hmm. uh, you know, un- uh, under the tax code. And um, what's the other thing I was thinking about? I had a thought for a quick second. I just, it just left my mind. Um, You're talking about estates and attorneys and wills and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, the challenge of uh, deductions and whatnot. So uh, tax, tax code is really simple and really complicated in Massachusetts. So as you all discovered through the millionaire's tax, we're a flat tax state. Uh, 5%, so right? Yeah. 5%. So we get a new flat tax on a different category. The legislature cannot do uh, graduate income tax like the feds because the constitution dictates flat tax. Um, now, this gets really confusing because it's a flat tax policy, the policy of taxation is based on classes of people. So we do it for everybody or nobody, or we do it for specific classes, the SJC is okay. I always use things like veterans as a common example where they, they actually can be considered a class of folks. Um, you know, the senior circuit, senior circuit tax break or property taxes for, for uh, people age 65, I very much encourage people to look at that. We're talking about it next year. You know, you can do three year look back, it's not too, too late to amend taxes. You believe you qualify for the senior circuit tax, uh, senior citizen uh, circuit breaker or your property tax assistance. So if we're going to do, you know, any kind of deductions or credits, or anything like that, we have to kind of think about how it fits in this flat tax world. Uh, and, and, you know, we do it for seniors. Is it considered a separate class under the SJC, you know, from non-seniors, but we have to do it for everyone. And it's, Somebody better tax law than me is going to have to try to figure this out. Let's let's put it that way. I've been around long enough that uh, it, it's complicated. We, we had a graduated income tax. It would be very easy to deal with because the you know, legislature has the power to dictate uh, different uh, categories of people more easily uh, than what the SJC has determined in the past um, and uh, allow us more flexibility. And you're right, creating like a deduction specifically for certain age brackets because we would be a graduated tax system. Right. So yeah, flat tax is great because it's simple, but also creates all kinds of complications when trying to help out specific groups. On the flip side, a graduate tax people hate because they don't want us creating tiers of taxes with different incomes. But on the flip side, we create a lot of flexibility regarding, you know, creating specific uh, targeted circumstances for specific yeah. people and assistance and taxes. Yeah. Are there? Do you know are there other states that are um, flat tax around this New England area of Techie? Oh, there are no tax states, right? We all know about. Well, the, uh, uh, New Hampshire, right? yeah. New Hampshire. But um, 
Alaska, I, too, I think. I think it's, yeah, Alaska, Florida has a weird taxation system. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as you can tell, these are all places, well, you have Alaska. People all, like, go to uh, for different reasons. Uh, I don't remember if the New England states have a graduated tax around this. Um, okay. Many states are graduated tax. Um, it's not unusual. So yeah, well, there's the argument that it's more equitable because it's it, it's more based on ability to pay. Yeah, and there's also a uh, time, right? And the times mm-hmm. are changing. Uh, you know, graduated tax in different states would change because of the nature of how wealth, you know, wealth. Um, so you know. You know, we'd have to amend the Constitution. <laughs> amend the Constitution, and the voters won't do it. I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, the voters do not want to graduate. This is not a new discussion. Um, there's been many ballot questions have passed. That, but I can't think of the top of my head what states around us actually have graduated tax. Um, the other thing uh, is, is kind of fascinating is that, you know, it's you know, flat tax with different categories of income. So, for example, on, you know, interest income versus capital gains versus mm-hmm. earned income. So, all different and you know we do have a strong desire to try to address the estate tax you know changing that weird deduction that uh after the first million dollars it taxed the whole thing as opposed to just taxed uh, with an exemption first men we propose yep. to try to pump it up to two men and you can exempt the first two men uh but well i think we're going to be coming back to that especially the millionaires tax plan okay good uh sports betting is here it happened Eventually, yeah. <laughs> Another topic that wouldn't go away for like six, seven years. Uh, the Wynn uh, Casino in Everett uh, became the first destination for sports betting. You actually guys have to go to Everett uh, to sports bet. Right. Uh, you know, timing could be better going into Super Bowl season and March Madness and obviously March. But I mean, Super Bowl is the next real big, big, big betting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, it's again, it's a windfall for the state uh, because we collect revenue off of sports betting. Uh, and the entertainment for folks, but you do actually have to physically go to the site. As for, you know, online sports betting, the state try to sort that out at the Gaming Commission, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, DraftKings, you know, had a breach. And so I do have some concerns here regarding security uh, of these online um, online uh, betting things, uh, any kind of online betting, uh, because your uh, account on those things are net FDIC insured. And if you get robbed, the obligation of the company to refund you, well, May say in the contract they have to. It may not say that in the contract they have to. Uh, even if it does say, they might just fight it. <laughs> yeah, and drag it out long enough. Yeah. Yeah. So the breach of DraftKings isn't necessarily just about your personal data and perhaps access to access to your checking routing number, your credit card numbers, but you know they could actually swipe your money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, remember FTX people, electronic cash mm-hmm. vanishes. <laughs> Yes, as I recall, somebody got arrested for that. <laughs> yeah, this was like a congressional investigation too on that one. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, but at least you know banks are FDIC insured, your CDs are FDIC insured. Uh, but if you're playing, you know obviously the markets, um, and uh, you know you, you put your money in a sports betting account, or be account wagering for horse and horse racing, or you, you know, put in sports betting, you know get your money out. Uh, given today's hackers and you know, the heightened threat from Russia because of Ukraine war. In particular, uh, you know, hackers have no problems uh, to try to get at your money uh, mm. to attack, them, you know, attack Americans through their pocketbooks. So um, I do have a lot of concerns that front. But what I'm saying is very simply cash out, <laughs> you know, and put money in a bet and get your money out once you yeah. if you win. Yeah, yeah, don't, uh, yeah, don't risk it. It's too much of a risk, yeah. So much of a risk. Credit card numbers, the federal laws to protect your credit cards in terms of ensuring that you're defrauded, that uh, you are made whole. Uh, the banks and credit card co- uh, credit transfer companies are required to make you whole. Uh, any uh, banking industry will tell you they lose a lot, tens and hundreds of millions of dollars a year on fraud cases that are making uh, people whole, particularly credit card theft. Uh, unless you have FDI insured for the first quarter million dollars uh, per bank. Yeah. So at least you know there's something goes wrong. There, there's uh, federal government protection from from uh, the treasury and the Fed Reserve. So, but I mean, um, I do get nervous on people who place money in places that uh, have no FDA protection, nor they require to provide you any protection in case of fraud and theft. Yeah. Um, what's going on with the cannabis industry, Jackie? I read an interesting article about prices falling because of oversupply. 
Well, this was going to happen eventually. Uh, you know, the uh, cannabis marijuana pot, whatever you guys like to call it. Uh, it's like everybody's got a word for it. Uh, so uh, it's you have to actually grow the all the supply in Massachusetts. It's actually part of this interesting system because in the federal government you can't move marijuana between state lines because it's a crime. But if you keep everything in state, uh, then um, you know that's perfectly okay. It's not a federal jurisdiction. Uh, there are banking problems, as you probably read regarding that, because the feds do regulate banking between state lines. And uh, when I was in the marijuana committee, one of the questions was, how do you get the marijuana seeds? And the answer is, don't ask, don't tell. So we don't ask, we don't tell. So um, it was eventually going to happen. And uh, those remember, you know, when marijuana is opened up, prices were outrageous. The supply and demand. And uh, now the supply is uh, caught up and the uh, consumer market has essentially normalized. You do have regular customers. Uh, I suppose people kind of try it for the first time, you know, the price is going to come down and going down is actually good because it actually keeps the black market from, from coming on. One of the things about high price marijuana uh, was that it actually continued the um, e- illegal sale of marijuana, you know, black market marijuana, which you don't know what's actually in it. And we don't cut it with fentanyl or whatever. Um, it's not, cheap. Yeah, because it's cheap. I mean, they do tamper with, with marijuana uh, on the black market. So, um, you know, the prices come down, it kills off the black market, and it demonstrates that the uh, consumer base has kind of leveled out uh, and supply chain, uh, the industry has uh, finally caught up with the demand. And uh, with more uh, business coming online, I think there's like one in Washington Street, some places trying to get their license. Uh, you know, the more uh, shops are open, the greater the competition, greater competition is better for consumers. I hmm. think there should be a moratorium on the number of dispensaries. The dispensaries are tied, each community are tied to their liquor licenses. Oh, okay. So I think it's one, I think it's every 10 licenses you get one marijuana dispensary. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Okay, but, but there, is a, there is a ratio. Yeah, there's a cap by quota system, uh, like alcohol, like taxi medallions, uh, things like that. So, uh, you know, smaller communities, obviously, when they have less opportunity for marijuana licensing, the bigger communities, obviously, more. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that, that caps work. Uh, for my chair doing alcohol industry, mm-hmm. uh, they do work. So uh, I wouldn't worry about this proliferation of like, you know, insane number. And again, the market will uh, dictate uh, control. So, you know, it's a, it's a little different from alcohol. Uh, so uh, because the consumer market will cap out, mm-hmm. uh, unlike the alcohol industry, which is, you know, I, I, you know, I hate to put it this way, it's culturally part of our society. It's, it's a societal issue, it's acceptability to, to have alcohol um, you know, when you reach, well, <laughs> uh, when you reach adult age, uh, age to drink, um, you know, you, you, you know, it's kind of a social acceptance, right? Um, marijuana, uh, you know, people use it, obviously, but it isn't the kind of the same, uh, you know, cultural, social acceptance issue uh, in society currently. Maybe it would change down the road. Yeah. But like everything else, the cons- there's only so many consumers that, you know, will want it. And eventually you're going to cap out. Right. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's the it's the capitalistic system, right? Mm, no, no, absolutely. So it's not like I mean, people had this impression out of seven million people, you know, four million are going to be marijuana users. I mean, it's the same with alcohol. It's like going to have four million drinkers. Well, maybe they are, but I wouldn't say that's true. But uh, but eventually, you know, you're going to have only so much. And of course, you know, unlike marijuana, you know, you have holiday spikes. So. You know, mm-hmm. I had of the package store industry, uh, you know, obviously things like Super Bowl, St. Patrick's Day, because it is Boston, St. Patrick's Day. Um, uh, we're very, yeah, we'll stop there. Um, you know, July 4th, Labor Day, I mean, all the alcohol industry prepares for these massive spikes. They uh, get the supply chain ready for these spikes. Christmas, you know, Thanksgiving, but, you know, going to Christmas, New Year, all the bars, restaurants, uh, package stores, you know, all getting ready for the spike in business because, my friend Keiko O, who's head of tourism, tells us that uh, people are coming to Massachusetts, more local, not international, to uh, come to Christmas and holidays and all the other things going on in Massachusetts. Um, and, uh, you know, the industry, uh, you know, prepares for that. During COVID-2020, where, where everything was shut down and, you know, death and destruction, for lack of term, was everywhere, you know, it completely disrupted the, the normal flow of business regarding anticipation of customers. So I mean, complete and total disaster as a guy who was in charge of monitoring all that stuff in, in 2020 um, into 2021. But now that we've reached, you know, whatever normal we want to call it, uh, you know, the regular supply chain spikes. So 
uh, marijuana doesn't work that way. It isn't like you're going to see this massive marijuana spike on Christmas Day. Right. Yeah. You know, I hope not anyway. Um, <laughs> but, you know, obviously there's New Year's parties, um, you know, and, uh, and obviously, you know, Christmas family stuff. Um, so, I mean, the alcohol industry is a little bit different because they expect those, those spikes. It's like, you know, another one's like cigarettes. You don't expect a massive cigarette sale, you know, going into like Christmas Day, right? Um, so, you know, part of it's, you know, culture, you know, acceptance society was acceptable how to do things, but also, you know, cyclical nature of, of consumer industries. All right. Well, is there, speaking of um, ballot initiatives before, Jackie, is there going to be needed new legislation now that the dental insurance question passed? Maybe, maybe some technical issues, but the bill is actually not terribly written. Okay. It's actually, uh, actually pretty succinct in what it's trying to accomplish. I think the vision insurance is going to have to do some interpretation regarding regulatory rollout. But, you know, since they already do healthcare. Uh, insurance regulation. I, I don't see a big challenge there for division insurance to sort this one out. So maybe there'll be a technical correction. I think it's probably okay. Okay. All right. So that it takes effect first of the year. Um, I think it takes effect at the beginning of fiscal year. Oh, oh fiscal year. no, one full year. It's one full calendar year. Okay. So division insurance has a full year to try to sort the regulatory process and it'll go into effect. Okay, so plenty of time to get that done then. Yeah, if they didn't put, uh, they were smart. They put in an activation time period to let regulatory agencies go through the Chapter 38 public process to ensure that you know the public has commenting and so forth and so forth uh, in a transparent way to ensure, well, transparent if you're looking for it. Tell parent transparency has no usefulness if you're not actually paying attention to the transparent issue. Uh, but you know, obviously the industry is interested in what's going on and want to present their arguments regarding interpretation, issue, and regulations. So one-year implementation program makes perfect sense because uh, you know you don't want to just you know pop something out and you know uh, you don't go through a regulatory process to ensure no everyone knows what the rules look like. Mm-hmm. Yep. Speaking of um, supply chain issues, can't find cold and flu medicine anymore. <laughs> it's like yeah, I know, I know. Everyone's everyone's tired of COVID. Everyone's tired of mass. Everyone's tired of healthcare challenges, I get it. Um, but, you know, you saw in the news, you know, RSV, RSV flu, you know, there's another respiratory thing, which I don't know what it's called yet. It's floating around, plus COVID, plus a insufficient vaccination rate on children and adults on this, on the Omicron booster. I know there's a BO1212 and so forth. And there'll be another vaccine for that probably coming up next year, given the speed of MNRA's ability mm-hmm. to adjust. But, you know, again, this is an important vaccination to uh, reduce the chance of actually having to be in a hospital and reduce the chance of needing a lot of cold medicine. And uh, the lack of uh, medication on the shelves is a reflection of the fact that we're very not healthy right now. Uh, uh, I mean, it isn't like people buy cold medicine for fun. Uh, you buy it because you need it or your family needs it. And it's a reflection of the fact that people are sick and most likely people are going out giving their illness to other people. And uh, it, there's a labor shortage. Employers are really stressed out to try to keep people working. Uh, but as I you know, said during COVID, it's no different for the flu as well, or even the common cold, the normal cold we used to. And you give it to somebody else, the productivity diminishes greatly. <laughs> when you're sick, you're not really as productive as you're not sick. So, yeah, especially small businesses. You know, I mean, it could be half your workforce. When you give it to a customer, the customer is not going to forget where it came from. No one needs the bad PR right now. Uh, You know, people got to keep that in mind. Oh, I got sick at this restaurant. Well, the last thing people go to do is go back to that restaurant. You know, it's like people get food poisoning at a restaurant. People are going to tell people not tell other people not to go to that restaurant. Same issue if someone sneezes on you in a restaurant that works there. You right. get sick. Well, <laughs> you got to tell your friends not to go there, right? Right. Same thing in retail and the locale. So obviously, you know, people are sick of masks, but you know, masks keeps your germs to you. Keep that in mind. It's not about just keeping germs from other people to you. It keeps your germs to you. Um, and you know, obviously, you know, even I've changed my behavior. Those that know me, you know, you know, I'll go down sniffing, sneezing, runny eyes, runny nose, looking I'm going to die uh, because showing me events people are asking. Now I'm not going to do that. Um, I, I, you know, 
not going to do that. Uh, not just because of COVID. I just, it's, it's just not good. And if you're, you can't get the flu and COVID at the same time. I know people have had that happen, which makes your lives even more miserable than just having one or the other. Uh, Cause I've talked to some friends and they, they were, they were sick for a long time. Yeah. They had after effects along COVID plus, you know, flu uh, body impact. And uh, you know, I don't know what to say anymore. I mean, you know, everyone knows it's there. It's up to you guys to, Figure what's good for your own health to protect yourself and your family. If you're a business, you know, you want a workforce that isn't going to get other people sick and you want a workforce that's working optimally, not, not uh, working half steam because they, they can't function. Um, it's not good for you either. So, you know, everyone's got to figure this out as we go along and hospitals are going to fill up. We got a notice uh, from uh, health, uh, um, health and Human Services uh, about uh, hospital readiness for a COVID spike with a flu spike, with an RSV strike for kids uh, and uh, another, you know, normal diseases, plus, you know, car accidents and heart attacks and strokes and, you know, so-called normal life stuff. Um, so the hospitals are understaffed. Healthcare workers have been moving on to other professions or some folks have just flat out retired uh, because of that age. And, uh, you know, they're, they're preparing uh, now for a massive spike uh, so, you know, everyone can be taken care of and, uh, you know, including emergency cases. It's, it's kind of a, a secular issue, right? We know people that pass away or become very ill during the holiday period. Uh, I can't, I think it's stress. I don't, I can't explain this, but, you know, it does happen this time of year. So it'd be a hard time of year for a lot of people. Yeah. It's, it can be, um, I've, I've had incidents of people passing away. I think my grandma passed away during the Christmas period. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it can be tough on folks and added stress and emotional and so forth and so forth. So I, you know, I would tell folks, you know, I don't know what to say. I mean, it's out there and news talks about it. It's local news talking about it. Um, but you know, they ain't cold, there's no cold medicine. Something's up. Mm. Yeah. Try and stay healthy as best you can. Well, I saw a news article in Beijing this morning because they lifted cold restrictions Talk about last time the complete and total confusion of these core restriction lifting. You know, no code medicine, no home test kits. Um, and uh, people don't even know they have COVID. I'm listening to these um, interviews and what they describe aren't COVID symptoms, uh, but the thing have COVID. The misinformation is not uniquely in this country, it's, mm. it's in other places as well um, regarding what COVID uh, symptoms are and uh, you know, self diagnosis of testing equipment. Um, and, uh, you know, like I had one person say, oh, oh, people don't get COVID because they take medicine every day. I'm like, that's not how COVID works. It's so interesting. They just kind of ripped the bandaid off over there without being prepared for anything. Yeah. Here, I know people are very upset about our reopening process. Don't get me wrong. I'm very aware of it. I've heard it from a lot of folks, uh, about that. But, you know, interestingly, when we did rip the bandit off, you know, we did have some like essentially test runs to see what happened with limited openings and, uh, you know, how the numbers responded. And um, not surprisingly, there was a spike. Uh, even on limited opening, when we ripped the bandit off, there was a monster spike followed by a bad wave in 2021. Uh, 2021 winter was not a good hospital winter. Um, and uh, China gets really cold uh, in certain parts. Uh, and, uh, you know, they have the same problems regarding cold and flu and dry air doesn't help the situation on, on transmission of, of uh, particles. So, uh, and the hospital system is uh, woefully inadequate uh, compared to ours. Uh, they have half the ICU uh, beds and even less emergency stuff than we have here. And it's all centralized in the hospital. Pharmacy is the hospital. So, I mean, it's a congregation of sick people in one location and just more of them. As opposed to here that, you know, you can go to CVS with your mask on and, you know, get your code medicine. So um, we'll see how that goes. I think the interesting question is because they reduced mass text testing so much. Well, and uh, the information is controlled. It'd be interesting exactly how much you really know is going on. Yeah, yeah. Most countries that have the capacity to, you know, report to WHO, uh, with the best information possible based on the uh, country rates. Wealthier countries have better ability to report more accurately than poorer countries. China is not a poor country. It's a wealthy country. The question is, uh, you know, how they're going to address, you know, testing and their band-aid rip-off situation and actually what they reported to the WHO. Stay tuned, as they say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if uh, it could be very tragic very quickly. Mm. Uh, remember the Indian 
uh, tragedy uh, where they didn't even do lockdowns and it just ran ransacked a country where they're doing crematoriums outdoors uh, in in like you know like big empty lots um, and of course you know they're not a super wealthy country income disparity is very interesting and complex over there so we probably never truly got a complete picture. Uh, all their um, infection as well as impact. They didn't have uh, testing capacity uh, throughout the country of over a billion people. So um, a lot of question marks about, you know, whether those numbers during that that awful uh, 2021 wave. Uh, Hong Kong's not experiencing a wave, but not nearly as bad as the original Omicron uh, breakthrough. Um, there being, what, 1.23 billion people in China. Most people live in dense cities. It'd be intriguing to watch how that's managed mm -hmm. well tacky we have to uh bid adieu uh but i want to uh wish you and your family and your staff a very happy holiday season oh thank you i hope you uh, enjoy your time off and uh you know you get treated well by santa and uh you know wish you a happy new year i guess i won't see you until uh, after swearing in day i guess uh we're you know we normally do this on a wednesday most times, uh, obviously today, I think it's Tuesday the 14th. Is it Tuesday? No, it's Wednesday. Today's Wednesday? Ugh, I can't remember what day it is. Uh, it's Wednesday day, but swearing in is is that day. So, uh, you know, I think I won't see it to the year turn. So it may be a little bit of a delay. All right. Well, we'll hold people in anticipation then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but regardless, I wish everyone a happy Christmas. If, the, if we're not seeing each other again, um, you know, Hanukkah's coming up. Is Hanukkah started? Uh, the 18th. 18th, so happy Hanukkah. And, um, you know, wish everyone a, a happy new year and obviously, you know, better fortunes for the next than you have now. Absolutely. Uh, to read you, same way as always? Same as always, 722-2370-617-722-2370. Uh, we are staffed uh, in the office, so reach out. Taki.chan, T-A-C-K-E-Y dot C-H-N-A, And you all know I do constituent issues first before looking at policy stuff, but I do read everything. We do log into a constituent database, uh, just to let you know, uh, as well as the fact that coming new year, people are going to be asking me to co-sponsor bills. It's going to be a flood. I promise you I'm going to get a flood on January 4th of emails. Uh, I'm going to be picking through like 500 emails a day or even more. And then um, obviously Facebook, the representative Tacky Chan Facebook, you can see my comings and goings and uh, Tacky Chan at ORG. Uh, we'll be updating that, that website soon um, because of reflection of a change of session. So we have to update everything to reflect the new session. So, you know, malegislature.gov if you want to see us as a whole in the webs on the legislative website. And um, obviously we'll be on QA TV uh, in 2023. Yes, we'll talk to you in the new general court, as they call it, right? Yeah, we can talk about you know swearing in day, and uh, we can talk about you know how the process begins, and notably the topics uh, as we uh, talk more about uh, how things work as we start a new session. All right, thanks again, Taki. Good to talk to you. We'll we'll catch you soon. Talk to you soon, Joe.